and I did already start recording. Thanks, Josh. Uh, he didn't text me this week, so uh, phone's about to die. It's, it's an Apple product, isn't it? All right. Uh, Esther chapter eight. Esther chapter eight. Uh, we finished last week uh, with Haman going to the gallows. Remember, Haman built these gallows. Uh, there were fifty cubits high. I think I said one hundred fifty feet last week. That's closer to seventy-five. I doubled the amount, but either way, I know. Uh, no one called me out on that. Uh, slippery slope of heresy. All right. But uh, seventy-five feet. Uh, it's all, and it, it got in my head as soon as I said it, and I'm like, nope, it's times 1.5, not times 3 for a cubic. But not that anybody remembered that. Uh, but either way, 75 foot tall gallows that he built for Mordecai. He, he hated Mordecai. And again, uh, what he built, it's uh, the, the verse in Proverbs where you, the, even man digs a pit and falls into it, he dug his pit uh, of death, and he, of course, was hung on that. Haman's dead. But the decree that he wrote and got the king to sign is still in effect. Remember, the decree was, on this date, all the Jews are going to die. If there's a Jew that's in this empire, in the Persian Empire, you can kill them. And that is still in effect. Uh, way after wicked people are off the scene, the, their wickedness still ripples on. And you can think of that in, in life. Uh, today, innocent people are still suffering because of guilty people who are, who are dead and gone. Uh, they still have those effects. And that's what happened here. Uh, unless something happened nine months from now. So remember, they said, all right, in a year is when we're going to kill all the Jews. And three months had passed. Haman dies. So still, it says nine months time. In nine months, the Persians would attack the Jews and kill everyone that they could find. Uh, they say there's roughly about 15 million Jews in this empire, um, which is a, a lot, obviously. And there's about 100 million people in the Persian empire, and 15 of those million were, uh, were Jews. And, you know, uh, they were in the minority, but we know with God, uh, with one with God is a majority here. So God had brought Esther and Mordecai to Shushan, uh, as the verse says, for such a time as this. And so that's when we come into this story here in chapter 8. How does this happen? What, you know, there's this law that was passed that we're going to kill all the Jews. How is God going to care for his people? And he always does, especially uh, the people of Israel, uh, but the, the believers too, the same way God does care for us. And he has a plan for us. And that's where we'll get into this story where they go from, we say, from victims to victors. And uh, this new law brings, brings hope and joy. And I love the ending of this chapter and the correlation with God's law and the law of sin and death. Um, that's where we get into the end of this. So let me pray and we'll, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we are grateful for the word of God. Uh, may we make it paramount in our life. God, may we use it to guide us. God, you, you've given us all the answers we need for life. And um, I pray that we'd seek them. It's last week. I know uh, the teens and juniors. Walk, turn, uh, learn about walking in the light, and they need uh, your uh, commandment, God, your word to guide them. And I pray that we do that, uh, not just as teenagers and juniors, but as adults. Um, give us your word in our hearts. Uh, God, fill me with your wisdom, your Holy Spirit's power, help me to say the correct things. Thank for your grace that you've given to us, and we see that evidence here and how you care for us. And um, We love you so much in your precious name. Amen. Uh, so, uh, Esther chapter 8, and look down in verse number 1. Again, appreciate a uh, so few visitors in class today. Um, I guess you actually liked your teacher when you were in school, so you came to visit me one last time. Uh, and then a couple that were returned. Ryan's good to see you back again. Um, but uh, chapter 8, verse number 1, it says, On uh, that day did King Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. The king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, 
and gave it unto Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Look down at verse number 15, at the end of the chapter. Uh, and Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, and with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Uh, you can turn back to, I guess, the beginning of the chapter if you need to, but uh, we see here, the first thing we see through these verses is Mordecai's promotion. And uh, according to history, uh, especially ancient history during this time, if a traitor was executed, someone who went against the king, and here he went against the king and his authority, the, if the traitor was executed, then the throne or the government usually would take their property. Uh, so if you were a traitor in the government, the government took your property and got to keep it, and they did whatever they want with it. We knew Haman had a lot of money. He, he told uh, Hazarus at one point when he wanted to kill the Jews, I'll give you 10,000 talents of silver, loads of money that he had to kill the, that he wanted to use to kill the Jews. If Hazarus took Haman's property, though, for himself, he would look like he gained a lot of money, that he was uh, doing this for himself, you know, just trying to get gain. But what he did is he took Haman's property, and it sort of was uh, justification for also maybe he was kissing up to Esther. Like, I know that you thought we were, I was allowing all the Jews to be killed, so here's this money. I'm going to give it to, to Mordecai, and I'm going to make him be lifted up. Either way, uh, if he was trying to cover up the wrong. But Esther uh, shared this wealth with, I think she took this wealth. Remember, the Jews were preparing for battle, eventually. And see the law here. They were killed. Esther got this money. Help here. Go buy a sword. Buy what you need. Um, but Esther heard new Esther more Jews. Uh, then, if you look at number one, came the king for a uh, uh You know, they're, they're cousins. And uh, and has her some Mordecai. You know, now they're they're related. So we realize, oh, you you got married into the family. You know, I married your cousin. Now now we're family. And uh, and came out of here. He's, I'm gonna take the ring. I don't know if he's dead. I'm sure how he's that man. But he's still hanging. Walking pulls the. I don't know after it. Uh, but he, the ring of Haman, sir. But he was forward like Haman. I'm giving it to you. And he promoted uh, Mordecai. Um, trying to get uh, too far ahead of me, but he's making the new prime minister. And now, if you can think of this, all these Jews, 15 million Jews that are in the Persian Empire, now have a Jewish prime minister that is overseeing them. And that is, that I'm sure, man, and the end of chapter 15, they see it, man, they're so excited. Mordecai is finally lifted up. And we have a someone in power with us. And uh, this Jewish prime minister and a Jewish queen in this Persian Empire. So Esther passes on all this wealth to Mordecai, and uh, he's, of course, the one who doesn't bow down to Haman. Uh, if you look in uh, Psalms 37, Psalms 37, I, I know if you keep your finger here and go to Psalms 37, uh, you know, if Mordecai didn't have the courage to stand up for right and have the strength to encourage Esther to do the same, uh, Haman would still be in charge. And Psalms 37 says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Verse 35, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Some of you may or may not have memorized this this last week, uh, year uh, in school. Uh, it may have been the Friday morning that you were memorizing it for your verse test. But uh, verse 36, yet he passed away and lo, he was not. Yea, he sought him, but he could not be found. And we see this talking about how the wicked sometimes are grown in power. And we think, man, what's going on in this world and what's going on here? And I'm sure the Jews were the same way. They're in this empire. They're under control of the Persian Empire, and think, man, the wicked are so much in control here. I can't do anything. But God is in control, and he sees that he finally lifts. Uh, they waited on God, trusted in God. Again, the name of God not mentioned once in this book, but we know that God is there moving in their hearts. So Hazarus makes sure that Mordecai was looking good. We see that in verse 15. Uh, he didn't have the borrowed robes from Haman. Remember, Haman said, here's some clothes I'll let you wear, parade you around. Now he's wearing these brand new. These were the royal colors, blue, blue and white. And he looked like he was, uh, he got this new crown. 
Some say it was like this golden turban. I don't know if it was or not. It, that's, that's, that's just a random fact I found. Said it was probably, it wasn't actually a crown, but I'm like, how do you get that out of here? But uh, they wore turbans back then. So either way, but everybody knew that Mordecai was the one in control. He was an important man. And, you know, everything Haman had was from being mischievous, was from being sly, trying to talk up the king at the right time, trying to slip in the wrong things at the wrong time. Mordecai gets all these things from as gifts, and, uh, you know, now he's this strong leader. And, you know, for me, when I read this, I see the happy ending. Now, this happy ending doesn't always come. Don't, don't think, well, I'm a believer, I'm trusting in God, everything's going to be whatever, hunky-dory, everything's going to be perfect. Uh, it's all, uh, no, no problems. We can all say whatever that is, Akuna Matata, no worries, right? We, we, that's what we think. Oh, I'm a Christian. Everything's gonna be perfect. And we see this, but, uh, Esther and Mordecai went through some big trials before they had this promotion. Sometimes in your life, you're going to have to go through some hardships. God is looking to figure out if you are going to be a strong Christian or not. Are you going to stand for what you believe in? Are you going to just cower to what the world pushes on you? Or are you going to actually stand? And it didn't happen until Mordecai and Esther took a stand that they got these promotions. And the happy ending is, again, like I said, always the case. Uh, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you'll get every promotion at work. You know, well, I'm a believer of God, so I, this promotion's coming up, so I should get it. No, that's not always the case. Don't feel like that God has let you down because you didn't get your 25 cents an hour raise or something. Uh, or that you get the wealth from some random citizen uh, because you're a believer. It, it doesn't always happen, okay? So don't, don't be praying for some rich guy to die and all your money's going to be sent to you. But, uh, but God hasn't promised that we'll be promoted and made rich, but he has assured us that he is in control of everything. And here we see God's control. So look down at verse number three. We see first off Mordecai's promotion. Verse number three, And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. So she falls down and cries at his feet. She's saying, there's something that you still, we, I know that you took care of Haman, but there's still a big problem. Here's what Haman has done. Then the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, if it please the king, and if I had found favor in his sight, and the thing seemed right before the king, and if I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, close enough, uh, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? You know, uh, all that money that and position that was given to Esther and to Mordecai, that was not what they it didn't matter. My people are still going to be destroyed and they're still going to be killed. The most important thing to her was not her having nice things. Uh, it was the safety of the Jews. She's like, I can't relax. I can't sit back until I know my people are cared for, and my people. She's like, that, that money and the state are nice, but the most important thing, you know, so many of us are the opposite of that, where, where we're, we ignore this lost and dying world. She knew her people would be killed. She knew her people would be destroyed, but she had all these nice things, but she said, you know, more important than this, she went to the king again, having fear of death again. Remember the first time she went, she had to figure out if he's going to put his scepter out. But she said, if I perish, I perish. Here again, it happens the same way. He could have killed her the same way, but he went with this petition. He holds out his golden scepter. She said, I have all these nice things, but more important than that is my people dying. We are opposite of that way. We are so satisfied with attending church, 
maybe dropping our offering in the offering plate, uh, think that we're fulfilling our Christian responsibilities. But we neglect this lost and dying world. The thing that literally is the most important thing that we could be doing. Think that we have the freedom to do whatever we please with the rest of our time and our money. God has given us all those things, not for our own pleasure. God has given us these things so that we can help this lost world around us. Esther being some great things, but not for her own good. She took all this wealth she had and passed it on to help those Jews. She had all this position she used, not for herself, but she could save the Jews. You know, we need more people like Esther who, who have a burden for the lost, greater than any motivation they have in this life. You know, I'm not sure, I, I found this quote, but the, the quote I found was, the only thing most of us know about sacrifice is how to spell the word. And that is so true. Esther said, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice my money, my position. I'm going to sacrifice what could be my life to help save the Jews. Esther couldn't do everything, but she could do something. And what she could do, she did. And she went to the king, fear of her death, uh, and asked the king to reverse this law. You know, uh, her running to the throne is what saved the Jews from slaughter. She was asking nothing for her except that the king would save her people. And, to, and she said, I have this heavy burden on my heart. My people are going to die. I can't live with this. This fact that I know they're going to be dead, that they're going to be killed. There's a time they're going to die. And that consumed her. We are so far from that. We are not consumed with those around us who are dying and headed to hell. We, don't, we aren't consumed. We, we, we show up to church. We say we're believers. We, we probably read our Bibles. But we don't have that strong desire to help save the lost people around us. We may even go out soul winning. We could probably just call it door knocking because that's what we're doing. We're knocking on doors, giving them a piece of paper. We're not out trying to win souls. We're just out trying to pass out a piece of paper. And that's a sad day. Uh, you know, I, I look through the scriptures and I, and I see so many people who are, they, they prayed for the Jews and they, and they wanted God to do something for them. I think when Israel sinned, Moses met God on the mountain and Moses was interceding. God, please don't destroy these Jews. I need you to save them. And he was willing. He, he, he said, God, in, in uh, Exodus 32, he said, God, I don't care if you took my name out of the book of life. If you can help save these, these people, that's okay with me. He was willing to go to hell for these people. He prayed that to God. Many years later, Paul does the same thing. Paul in Romans 9 says, I'd be willing to be accursed from Christ, though that Israel would be saved. I don't think any of us have ever come close to that prayer. I have never come close to that prayer. I've never said, God, if you get these people saved, I'd be willing to die and go to hell. I, I've never said that. But, man, it ought to be that desire. Uh, on Mount Carmel, Elijah prayed for disobedient Israel. He had this desire for them to be saved. In the palace, Nehemiah prayed for the Jews in Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah, uh, like Nehemiah, Ezra did the same thing. He wept and prayed and asked God to help the sinful people. Daniel humbled himself. He fasted and prayed for his people. He knew that they were lost and dying, headed to, for, headed to hell because they were serving these false gods. Do we have that same desire? Are we like Esther? We said, I have all this nice stuff. You guys have traveled overseas. If you, some of you went down to Belize a couple years ago. Some of you have been to the Philippines before. Even if you go to spots in Mexico, you see the poverty. You see that the people are lost. And you're moved by that. You're like, man, that'd be, you know, I, I see that desire. But we don't have a desire to do that right here. We realize how much good stuff we have, but we don't use our position, our, our wealth, our prosperity that we have to reach this lost and dying world. Uh, you know, uh, and I got another quote in there. It was, it was uh, from R.A. Torrey. He said, 
It was a master stroke of the devil when he got the church and the ministry to so generally lay aside the mighty weapon of prayer. And uh, Esther goes to the king, and she, just like we ought to be going to the king, God, give me what I need to help save this lost world. And it is only through God's power that we can get this, only through the king. Tori said, the devil is perfectly willing that the church should multiply its organizations and its deftly contrived machinery for the conquest of the world for Christ if it will only give up praying. And all he's saying was, you can let the church build up. I have all these organizations, have uh, different places that they meet together, have things that they do, have Baptist boys and all these other things that if they can get rid of prayer, the devil said, good. I know that I'm taking away this desire they have with their God. And Esther's example shows how we ought to come to God's throne. The only king who can save those bound for destruction. We ought to go to him. Uh, you know, one concerned Christian devoted to prayer can make a giant difference in this world. And prayer is the key that obtains and releases the power of God. Esther could not get everything she needed from this king unless she went to him and asked for it. And uh, God says in James, or it says, ye have not because ye asked not. Sometimes we don't get these things because we're not going to God. So we see Mordecai's promotion. We see Esther's petition, her prayer that she has. And look down at verse number seven. We'll read a couple of verses in here uh, about uh, what Ahasuerus proclaims, his proclamation. And uh, it says in verse seven, then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai uh, the Jew, behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman and, and him they have hanged upon the gallows, which he laid his hand upon the Jews. Verse 8, write ye also for the Jews as it liketh you in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Then were the king's scribes called and at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, uh, on the third and twentieth day thereof and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and deputies and rulers of the provinces which are from India unto Ethiopia all uh, 120 and seven provinces unto every province according to the writing thereof and every language uh, and so he tells them, here's this law you're going to write. Here's this thing you're going to do. Do Write what you need to, Mordecai. You know what you need to do, write down. You're smart enough. As soon as you write it, write in my words, seal it with my ring. It's going to go to everywhere. And he, uh, he, he does write this thing. You know, the problem that they faced was, uh, hers, his hands were sort of tied. He, he had written a law. If, if the law is written of the Medes and Persians, you couldn't change it. You can't just like, all right, we're going to remove this law. Uh, of course, they could add to it. Uh, you know, in our times, we have democratic nations where we can reverse laws. We can uh, amend laws and change things. Here, they couldn't do this. Uh, he couldn't reverse this, but he could issue this new decree. Mordecai, I know you're smart enough to figure this out, and you're smarter than I am, is really what he was saying. Write this decree that it works to whatever you need to do to help your people. And he had this, this great power that he had. And uh, the, the new decree the king wanted... Uh, Really what he wanted was the, everybody in Persia that the king wanted the, the, them to look at Jews differently than they looked at them before. He wanted to change their mindset. And, of course, uh, he gets Mordecai to write this. Pretty much what he says is, you probably don't want to attack the Jews. The day that it would be, it, uh, according to our calendar, would be March 7th. Pretty much what he's saying is, you don't want to attack the Jews on March 7th. The reason why, if you look down uh, in verse number uh, 11, uh, not in there, Nathan, sorry, but... Uh, wherein the king granted the Jews which were in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy and to slay and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for prey. And the, what he's not killing the little ones and women, they're allowed to do the same thing. They're allowed to defend themselves. So don't feel like he's saying, oh, they can kill all the kids and women. That's not what you're saying. Saying everybody from the men to the children, you can defend yourself. 
Before, the Jews were not allowed to do this. They're coming to kill you. They're going to kill you. Uh, but here he signs this law. It's okay if you defend yourself. And Mordecai is the new prime minister. He wanted to help them, allow them to defend themselves. Those that were like Haman, because we knew there was other people like Haman who hated the Jews. And like these foreign people in their land. And it really was their land, but uh, either way. But he makes it okay for them to defend themselves. Uh, this was, so they're right now, they're like three months past when this law is written. They got nine months to prepare for, we would call it D-Day, the time when they'd be attacked. Time you got to prepare. So they have a uh, little bit less than nine months to prepare. And uh, there's some other verses in chapter nine, uh, which I won't get into. But in chapter nine, they, they only the Jews would, the, the day came. And there was a lot of people that still attacked the Jews, even though they knew they could defend themselves. And the Jews took eight months to repair. I'm sure that they were having battle classes or whatever they were doing, uh, sword classes or whatever. I'm not sure, javelin classes, whatever you want to call it. Whatever they fought with. They were training. And I'm sure the other Persians that were in that empire saw them training. And yet they still attacked them. But here we see the Jews, they only attacked those who attacked them. And they only killed the men. They didn't take, they had the power to. They didn't take any of their, their money or their loot or whatever you want to call it uh, that they could have. Uh, in the, in the capital of Shushan, there was 800 men that were killed, but you can see how many Persians in all the empire. There's about 75,000 that were killed. And, uh, but that was 75,000 that wanted to attack these Jews. Uh, you know, I, I gave this quote a while back from, from J. Vernon McGee, but he said the Jews, uh, the Jews attended the funeral of every one of the nations that tried to exterminate him, you know, and it's so true. You, you look through history and that's the same way, uh, Israel has still, uh, been there and at every nation that has tried to attack them and you know it's one thing to write this new decree it's another one to get the message out mordecai uh in verses i think nine and ten he puts the secretaries to work all right start copying this law out you write in that language you write in this language you write in this language i need everybody to hear it all right now couriers you got to go to every province 127 was of them you send them everywhere get the message out the, the jews you can defend yourselves you have hope for your future uh you don't have to die and Mordecai starts putting it out. The couriers, it said they were hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment. And if only the church were like those secretaries and couriers today, where we were hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment to get the good news that there is hope for your future. And that's what these people did. Uh, we need to tell the different people groups in this planet the good news of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ. The king said, go. And man, these couriers, and they, we got to go. Our king says go, and we drag our feet. Like, oh, I guess I'll go out. Like, 9.45, man, I got to get up early on Saturday. Uh, we drag our feet. We're not like those secretaries and couriers. We, we think we can just hold off. Uh, this group of pagan scribes and messengers, they, without all the modern technology, took Mordecai's message throughout the whole empire, India to Ethiopia, you know, geography, that's a lot of area. And he got that message out. But we can't go down the street. We can't share the gospel. You know, ever since the fall of man, we have been under the law of sin and death. It talks about that in Romans 8. And God will not change that law. Our sin is what separates us from him. We are under the law of sin. You know, we know the wages of sin is still death. Because of our sin, it keeps us from him. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God put another law into effect. Just like King Ahasuerus. I can't change this law. The Jews can be killed. I'm going to write this new law. This law that will help you. It will save you. If you, go, if you follow this decree, it will save you. God has done the same thing with us. Where God has given us 
uh, the law of sin and death is still here, but God has given us that law of grace. And when God raised him from the dead and put a new decree in effect, made it possible for sinners to be saved, he wants that good news to be spread. Man, I would hate to be a Jew that didn't hear that message. Uh, here's my day, I'm going to die. And I didn't get to hear that there is hope for me. And this chapter starts with Queen Esther in tears, crying. But it ends uh, with the Jews rejoicing. If you look in uh, verse 16, uh, right, above that, right above that, at the end of verse 15, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, whatsoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness. They had a feast and a, and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Starts with this tears from Esther, but it ends with joy. The Jews that had been mourning and fasting are now filled with joy. And if that is not the true evidence of salvation in someone's life, I, I don't know what else is. The one thing that made the difference was not the writing of the new law or even the fact that it had been sent all over. It was the fact that they believed that decree. It had not come to pass yet. Nine months had not passed yet. They're not even at that day. But the joy that was there. We know when we have our salvation, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we understand that. The difference in these Jewish lives was the fact that they believed this new law. It was their faith in Mordecai's word that changed their outlook on life. They had hope, joy, peace, because they had faith uh, in what Mordecai said. Romans 15 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, uh, it, it, at the end of that uh, chapter, it says that many of the people became Jews. Now, they weren't Jews like this. They were, we would call them proselytes. They were, they were believing foreigners, so they were like initiated into the Jewish faith. But they became believers. They called them God-fearers or worshipers of God. And, you know, uh, Billy Sunday said, if you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. If no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. These Jews, when they heard about this new decree, the joy that they were filled with because they understand their salvation, this is a picture of the salvation and God's law and uh, law of grace. But if more Christians today showed more joy of the Lord, I think many outside of our faith would come to know God. And, you know, you're moping around your, your neighborhood or your workplace, and they all know you're a believer, they know you're different, but then they see sadness, they don't see joy, they don't see hope. You know, we have hope for eternity, and they don't. And why would they want anything to do with that? More be attracted to the church and be willing to consider the message of the gospel. For me, I think it's worth trying on that. If I could leave you with one last lesson, it would be that we need to take the new love of God and tell the world about it. It ought to be the biggest thing in our life. They ought to see the hope and joy and peace that you have in your life to be a witness in the world around us. That's the biggest thing I think we ought to have uh, next week, which I think Ted will finish this off, but we'll see how God keeps his promises with the Jews uh, in, in chapter 9 and 10. But